morning. morning. Boy, it's good to be back. This might be a long one. Uh, So uh, today we're going to jump back into 1 Kings, and uh, the title of today's message is Behind the Mask, appropriately named, wouldn't you think? How many people are going nuts wearing these masks? How many people feel like they're suffocating in these masks? Okay, just want to make sure it wasn't just me, because I like, it's all I think about when I have one on. I'm like, people are talking to me, and I'm thinking, mask, 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 you know what I mean? They're, they're brutal. You know, it's funny, I was thinking about it, and, you know, if you think about it, there are so many times in our lives when, when we wear masks spiritually, you know, where we hide who we really are, and when we're trying to be something we're not, it's suffocating, because God didn't create us to be the person we're trying to be. And because of that, that attempt makes us feel like it's hard to breathe. There's such, so much relevance there. But before we jump into that, uh, I'm going to try to do something that probably I cannot do. I'm going to try to briefly recap chapters 12 through 14 before we jump into, or 12 and 13 before we jump into 14. Why am I doing it? I don't know. Because I can't, I guess. Anyway, so after Solomon's death, uh, his son, Rehoboam, becomes king. Now, He wasn't faithful to God like Solomon was when Solomon first became king, because when he first became king, Solomon was pretty faithful, then it kind of dropped off. He was a spoiled, rotten kid that grew up to be a spoiled, rotten jerk of an adult. That's just who he was. Not all Bible characters are good characters. He was a jerk, right? I mean, he worshipped idol gods, he had no regard for God, and he increased the forced labor that was imposed on his own people. He was self-centered, he was just a terrible, terrible man. And the people hated Rehoboam so bad that a lot of them just said, we refuse to follow you. We do not want to follow you. So the kingdom actually ended up splitting into two different kingdoms, right? Uh, And the two kingdoms were called the northern and southern kingdoms. And the northern kingdom was actually called Israel, and the southern was called Judah. Now, ten of the twelve tribes went with Israel, right? And two went with Judah. Okay, this is where we're at at this time. Israel's divided. Now, the kingdom of Israel made their capital in Samaria, and the kingdom of Judah made their capital where it had always been. They kept it in Jerusalem. Now, Rehoboam remained king in Judah because God had made a promise to David, and he was going to leave his line in control of Judah and Jerusalem. Right? So he remained the king in Judah. But Jeroboam, no relation, became, he actually used to serve under Rehoboam, but he, Jeroboam became Israel's king, the ten tribes that had parted off. He became their king. Now, Here's where it gets interesting. See, God told Jeroboam something that should have formed his life into something faithful. God said, listen, if you will be faithful to me, if you will just try to do like David did, I will bless you just like I blessed David. This is the only person I've ever seen God make that distinct of a blessing and a promise to. Just be faithful and I will bless you like I blessed David. Right, But despite that promise from God, this is a promise from God himself, despite that, he chose to remain disobedient. That's just what, just what he wanted to do. He, he was just as disobedient, just as evil as Rehoboam. So Jeroboam had this amazing promise, but it didn't even phase him. So he goes about doing things his own way. And then one day he starts to get paranoid because he's thinking, you know what? The temple is actually still in Jerusalem which is in the kingdom of Judah. What if my people go back there to worship every year like they're used to, and when they get there, start feeling kind of homesick and stay? What if they decide to stay? Now remember, this, he was just promised 
that if he would just be faithful, his kingdom would be blessed. And all of a sudden, fear's creeping into his life. He's like, I don't want those people to leave. They might stay if they leave, right? So he decides to make his own religion. He decides to make his own religion, and it's based around two golden calves. Can someone please tell me the obsession with people in the Old Testament with cows? I don't get this. You know, who would want to worship a cow? Maybe because it gives you the milk of life. I'm just kidding. I don't know. That was lame. But anyway, he makes these two golden calves and, and creates his own religion. And he says, now you don't have to go to Israel. Now, or now you don't have to go to Judah. Now you can just, you can just stay here in Israel and, and worship these gods. You know what's sad is that the people bought in. That's what's sad. You could tell they were kind of being led astray because they bought in. Then he does something that was just appalling to God because priests were sacred and were supposed to come from the line of Levi. He starts appointing priests to his cows, right? And here's, how, here's the criteria he used to pick them. You want to be a priest? You're in. I mean, that was it. There was no lineage, no nothing. He's like, you want to be a priest? Cool, grab the robes, let's get it on. You're the priest. That's how he did it. And this was just, this was terrible in God's eyes, right? And, and, and Jeroboam did... We see this stuff and we think, gosh, how can somebody be so stupid? How can somebody, despite the promises of God, how can somebody just walk away and do things their own way like that? How can they find something more important to them than God? How can, how can someone do that? But you know, a lot of people still do what he did today. And what that is, is today we allow our fear to hinder our faith just like he allowed his fear to hinder his faith. See, if he had trusted God's promises, he wouldn't have to worry about people leaving. Because when they started seeing the blessings pour out on him like they poured out on David, they would have stayed and that kingdom would have thrived. But he got paranoid and he got afraid. Because he didn't want to wait on God's timing. And he didn't want to wait on God's plan because God didn't specifically tell him every little detail, every step of every second of every day. That's just too vague for him. So he says, listen, God, I don't, you know, you're a good guy and everything, but you know, I just don't like your timing. I'm going to do this my way. Listen, has, has that ever happened to you? Have, have you ever prayed about something and rather than wait to see what God's going to do? And then you read, word and you, and you read his word and you get confirmation that you know, God is hearing you and God is doing something, but you're like, I know, but you just take too long, God. I need this solved now. So I'm just going to pray that whatever I come up with is your will, and then I'm going to assume that it is. That's what we, we do stuff like that. And we do things our way instead of doing things his way because we become impatient. See, Jeroboam thought, you know what? My plan, my timing is better than your plan and your timing. And like Jeroboam, a lot of times we devise our own plans and say, God, bless our plans. You ever done that? Have you ever said, Lord, show me what to do? And then the very 10 minutes later, you're going, okay, God, listen, new plan. I'm going to do something that I pick and I want you to bless it. We do that, but Proverbs 14, 12 tells us what happens when we do that. It says, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Okay, so he's saying, listen, I know it sounds really good to you, but if God's not involved in it, it ends in death. That, that's what the writer of Proverbs tells us. Now, back to Jeroboam. Now, God saw something in him, and I don't know what it was, but he saw a lot of potential in Jeroboam because he gave him so many warnings so many signs, and Scotty talked about a bunch of them last week. I think if I saw a lion sitting beside a prophet that was just eaten, I might take notice. You know what I mean? As I was running away, I might take notice. You know, and the donkey stand there. You got to think what the donkey, everybody says, why the donkey stand there? He's probably going, maybe if I don't move, he won't see me. 
You know what I mean? He's probably terrified too. But he sees all these signs, and yet he refuses to turn to God. I mean, the lion, the donkey, he had the prophet that came and called out all the things that were going to happen to him. He had seen so much, but he just refused, and he just continued to worship idols. And that catches us up to chapter 14. So we're going to dive in today. 1 Kings chapter 14, starting in verse 1. It says, At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise now and disguise yourself so that they, now notice it says they, so that they will not know that you are the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh. Behold, Ahijah, the priest, is there who spoke uh, concerning me that I would be king over this people. Take ten loaves with you, some cakes and a jar of honey, and go to him. Uh, He will tell you what will happen to the boy. So Jeroboam's son becomes sick. And his first instinct, for some reason, is not to go bow before the cows. His first instinct is to go to the man of God. Right? That's his first instinct. Because he was hoping that Ahijah, the priest, this is the same priest that said, if you'll just do what God says, he'll bless you like David. He thought, well, he said nice things before. He said that this God wanted to bless me before. So if I send my wife to him, you know, wearing a mask, that maybe, you know, we'll, we'll send some gifts with it. Maybe he will give us some reassurance about our son's condition. Right? And that's what he was hoping for because, you know, God had already said one time that he would bless his house. Maybe he will bless us by doing this. But the blessing that he was leaning on, the blessing that God sent through the prophet Ahijah, saying, I will bless you like I did David, was contingent upon him being faithful. It wasn't just a blanket promise. He said, if you will be faithful, I will bless you. But Jeroboam was not faithful. He was actually the polar opposite of faithful. See, Jeroboam didn't have a shred of the faith that David had. He didn't have a shred of the faith that Solomon had when he first started. Like I said, Solomon had decent faith when he first started. But later in his reign, he just lost his dang mind. I mean, 700 wives. Why? You know, and then with 300 concubines, that guy's life had to be terrible. (laughs) Terrible. Can you imagine his honey-do list? Lord have mercy. No wonder he needed so many servants. But, you know, he became unfaithful later in his life, Solomon did. And I think that Solomon's unfaithfulness probably influenced Jeroboam's attitude a little bit and Jeroboam's faith, you know, faithlessness also, right? So he was just completely aside from God, and he basically thought, well, things are tough. I know I made those cows. They're not really going to do anything. So maybe, maybe now that things are tough, I'll lean on God. Does that sound familiar? Maybe now that things are tough. I'll lean on God, maybe he'll give me some good news. Because, you know, he did love his son. See, God made a similar promise to all believers that also has a condition. And I talk about this all the time because people throw the scripture at me all the time. Romans 8, 28. And it says, we know that God causes all things to work together. Now pay attention to this. All things to work together for good to those who, those who what? Love Love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. Do you see? The contingency here? You see what he's saying? He'll make everything work together for good if you love God. Right? That's what he's saying. Now, I hear believers trying to claim this promise all the time. I hear it all the time. And I'll say, you know, you really need to you know, start reading again and, and maybe get in a small group. You've got to find your way back into your close relationship with God. Ah, well, you know, I'm saved, and the Bible says he'll make it all work out anyway. You ever hear anybody say that? I'm like, That's not what he said. 
That is not what he said. He says he'll make it work out for those who love God. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see that? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Listen, that promise was to those people. That's who that promise is to. And if you're not loving him, you're reading someone else's mail. It's not talking to you. Right? See, believers living their way instead of God's way have no claim to this promise. Just like Jeroboam had no claim to the promise of God blessing his family and his house and his kingdom because he didn't meet the contingency offer. He didn't live faithfully. He had no right to expect that. You know, he had no right. But you know what kills me is it's funny how we want no part with God's plan until something bad happens. You ever notice that? We have no part in God's plan. Then something bad happens. Someone gets sick or we get sick or, or we're about to lose our home or something goes really, really wrong. And now we want to seek God. And what's even more strange is this is how much we're like Jeroboam. We can be away from God doing things our way, away from his word, away from worshiping him. And we go to him when we have a problem. And by gosh, we expect him to do it, don't we? Even though we may not have lived up to our end, we expect God to do exactly what we ask of him because we ask. And if he doesn't, we get mad at him. I don't understand this. I don't understand this. I've had people come to me, come to me literally furious with God who have had nothing to do with him for three years. The one time they addressed him was to help him get out of trouble. And if he doesn't answer within 15 minutes, they're mad and they don't believe God exists and God's a liar and all that. And I'm like, man, stay away from your wife for three years, then come back and ask her for a favor and see how that works out. You know, it's just amazing how much we can be just like him. Anyway, back to the story. Okay, and, and, and here's where the title of this message kind of starts to make sense. First Kings 14, 2. It says, Jeroboam said to his wife, Arise now and disguise yourself so that they will not know that you are, my, or you are the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh. Behold, Ahijah the prophet is there who spoke concerning me that I would uh, be king over his, this people. Take ten loaves with you, some cakes, a jar of honey, and go to him. And he will tell you what will happen to the boy. So Jeroboam told his wife, to disguise herself or to mask herself. That's what a mask is. It's supposed to hide or disguise something, right? So he says, mask yourself, hide who you are, and go visit Ahijah. And then he says, you know, bring him some gifts, you know, suck up to him a little bit, right? Because he knows that all men of God love food. I'm just saying, <laughs> they love food. So he sends him, he sends him to him, sends some food with him. But the fact that he wanted her to be in a mask, to, to disguise herself, says something about him. See, he obviously didn't want people knowing that he wanted Ahijah's help. Remember, he was the one that created those idol gods. How would it look if the guy who created the idol gods is going to, to another god for help? How would that look? Right? And, and a part of me thinks he almost thought maybe if she disguised herself, God wouldn't know it was her. I don't know. Part of me thinks that, right? But he obviously didn't want people to know he was going there. Maybe he didn't want to offend, you know, the idol worshipers that he had brought around. I don't know. But he didn't want people knowing it was her. But he had actually become so arrogant that he thought he could deceive God. He thought if he could deceive God's prophet, he could deceive God. That's how arrogant he had become, right? That is, is like super arrogant. Because he either thought that God couldn't or wouldn't reveal this deception. 
either he thought, eh, there's, God's not real, so he can't really, you know, reveal it, or he thought, eh, God's, you know, busy doing other stuff. He won't reveal it. He'll let me get away with it. One or the other, either way, it's cocky. But he was so wrong, because that's exactly what God did. Listen, the easiest way to make sure no one deceives you, let me just throw this out there, is stay close to God and you won't be deceived. That's the truth. Listen, the easiest way to know that no one is going to deceive you is to be just like Ahijah the priest, stay close to God, and he'll watch out for you. Let's see this here. Okay, First uh, uh, Kings 15, 4. It says, Jeroboam's wife did so and arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. Now Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were dim because of his age. He was like Kevin's age. Verse 5. Now the Lord had said to Ahijah, Behold, the wife of Jeroboam is coming to inquire of you concerning her son, for he is sick. You shall say thus and thus to her, for it will be when she arrives that she will pretend to be another woman. When Ahijah heard the sound of her feet coming in the doorway, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Can you just imagine? She's like, Dang it, I'm going back to Stoner's. This outfit is terrible. He knew who I was. Right? He says, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another woman? For I sent... Uh, to you with a harsh message, or for I am sent to you with a harsh message. So listen, Jeroboam, you can't tell me Jeroboam didn't know this prophet happened to be blind. He knew that. He knew he was blind, and he thought, you know what, I'm going to take advantage of the old guy. going to send food, right, and he can't see. Change your hair a little bit, change your perfume, you know, some glasses with the mustache, you know, whatever. But he feels around, he's going to think it's somebody else. I mean, he really thought that he could take advantage of him, right? He thought this would be someone who was easy to deceive. But what he didn't realize, and I think sometimes we forget this, but what he didn't realize was that God looks out for his people. See, when we are completely trusting in God, we're trusting him to see for us. Because you see, God sees things we can't no matter how hard we try. Like, God sees what's going to happen in the future. After every decision, God sees the impact of things that have happened in your past. You see, when you trust God, you don't have to worry about those things you no longer can see because he will look at those things and see those things for you. And he'll warn you and tell you accordingly. Right? When you're trusting in him, he's going to tell you which path to take. He's going to tell you when danger's coming. You know, a lot of the trouble that believers get into in in this day and age happens because they weren't close enough to God to let him warn them because he would have. He would have warned them. Sometimes we don't even realize he's warning us. You know those times when we get mad because we get detoured or we get behind the slow person? And there's some people who have road rage out there. Crazy people, you know? Sometimes, sometimes that may be God protecting us from something that we would have been injured or, or maybe killed and we don't even know it. But when we're close to him, he is watching out for us. We just have to learn to trust that he's going to put us on the right path and warn us of danger. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on what? Your own understanding. Is that hard? It is hard. Because you're going, everything in me tells me I should slap the taste out of her mouth. Right? You guys ever been there? That boy, or that guy at work, you're going, everything in me tells me if he turns around and I hit him with this hammer. You know what I mean? Okay, maybe not to that level. But sometimes you just feel like you can figure it out on your own. It's hard not to lean on your own understanding. Verse 6, it says, seek his will in what? All you do. 
and he will show you which path to take. See, this is him saying, don't worry about what you can't see. I can see for you. Don't worry about what you don't know. I know everything. Trust in me to be who I say I am, God of all creation. And God protects and uses those who are faithful despite their weaknesses. That's what's beautiful is when people say, well, I don't have this ability. I don't have that ability. You have the ability to be close to God and whatever abilities you have beyond that, he'll use them because you're close to him and he uses those people despite our weaknesses. And I'm glad he uses us despite our weaknesses. Because if he didn't, there's no way I'd be up here. I've got more weaknesses than probably all of you. Right? God will use us despite us if we just trust him. Okay, now as soon as Jeroboam's wife arrives, he says, I know it's you. Don't even try it. Get in here. That's the Chris Mosley version. Right? Can you imagine the surprise on her face when he called her out by name? You know what I mean? That had to totally freak her out. Do you ever wonder if she's standing in the door going, should I, should I even go in now? You know what I mean? Because the whole plan's busted at this point. See, Jeremiah's, or Jeremiah, Jeroboam's blatant disregard for God's sovereignty here is obvious. I mean, really disguising your wife from God. Disguising your wife from God. I and mean, you send him to a prophet of God. He knows who's in direct communication trying to disguise him. I mean, he had a blatant disregard for the sovereignty of God. And you know what? Again, this sounds really familiar to me. It sounds really familiar to me because, again, it's shocking how much we act like him. I see it all the time. We pretend that we love God. You know what that is when you pretend to love God? When you go to church and pretend to love God and, and, act, and act like you love God when you're around other Christians, but knowing good and well that he has no place in your heart the other days of the week? You know what that is? That is wearing a big mask, one that will suffocate you quicker than these paper ones they're making us wear. I mean, it will suffocate you. Because God made you to be who you are, not who you want to be, who you are. And that's the person God wants to see. Not some version that you make up. God, that's why I say I don't like churchy people, and I get all these emails. Why would you say that? Because I don't like churchy people. That's why I say that. People who you see them Sunday, and they're sweet as cake. You know, you see them Monday, and they're yelling at the kid at McDonald's. You know what I mean? I mean, just, I don't. I don't understand. It's like we, we, we put this mask on, and we think, you know what, if I can, if I can go to church and fool all the other Christians and, and, and fool the peers around me, maybe I can fool God. Maybe he'll overlook all the blatant sin I've got in my life that I refuse to let go of, the things that I've put in front of him and refuse to put him priority over those things. Maybe he'll overlook those if I just pretend to be something I'm not when I'm at church and around other people. But the problem is God will not be fooled. God sees everything and is always in control always in control i've seen people get mad at god and say well i don't believe in him anymore and i'm like you know what i'm sorry that you don't believe in him because his path doesn't line up with your path but it doesn't matter whether you believe in god or not because his his sovereignty and his authority and his power are not contingent upon you believing in him he just is god he just is sovereign he just is in control and you can be dumb and deny it if you want but you know what and while you're in denial he's still god and if you ever want to be right it'll have to be through him it's just so many times we act just like him we put these masks on we try to deceive god by looking like something we're not and we think that maybe if we look good enough he'll bless us and not see the things that we put in front of him and it just doesn't work that way and jeroboam and his wife are about to find this out Okay, let's take a look at this. Instead of the blessing, you know, he was hoping to get, maybe this favorable prophecy, 
God gave him something totally different. Look at this, 1 Kings 4, 7 through 16. This is a lot of reading. He says, Go, say to Jeroboam, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because I exalted you from among the people and made you a leader over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, yet you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and who followed me with all his heart to do only that which was right in my sight. You also have done more evil than all who were before you. Did you hear that? Think of all the evil we've discussed. All the evil things that happened in the Old Testament. And he says, you also have done more evil than all who were before you. Man, that is a badge of dishonor, isn't it? He says, and have gone and made for yourselves other gods and molten images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I am bringing calamity on the house of Jeroboam and will uh, cut off from Jeroboam every male person, both bond and free uh, in Israel. And I will make a clean sweep of the house of Jeroboam as one sweeps away dung until it is all gone. You know what dung is? It's poop. He's saying, I'm going to sweep you away like the farmer scrapes poop and throws it away. That's what I'm going to do to you. Okay, verse 11. Anyone belonging to Jeroboam who dies in the city, the dogs will eat. <laughs> that visual makes me shudder. Can you imagine the people in the street walking by going, oh, I see a dog's eating Fred. How do you, how do you walk past that? You've got to know that's God's judgment, right? Well, no burial cost, right? And he who dies in the fields, the birds of the heavens will eat, for the Lord has spoken it. You ever get the idea the Lord is a little upset? You know? The dogs and the birds will eat your generation. <laughs> That's pretty rough, right? Verse 12. Now you arise, go to your house. When your feet enter the city, the child will die. Now listen to this. People skip right over this. Verse 13. All Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. Did you hear that? But what did he say would happen to all his descendants? Eaten by dogs and birds. But not this boy. All Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he alone of Jeroboam's family will come to the grave, because in him something good was found toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. What does that mean? I, you know, I don't know. I know this, that young man was innocent and had done nothing wrong. And you know, a lot of times our children have hearts closer to God than we can ever hope to have. Up until the world gets a hold of them, right? This shows God's mercy right in the middle of all this judgment. Again, he says, unlike the rest of your lineage, this one is going to be the only one that gets to be buried and have a normal mourning period like is normal in our customs. Because I know he had a good heart. I'm not going to make him suffer for your stupidity. Verse 14. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for him a king over Israel who will cut off the house of Jeroboam this day and from now on. For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water, and he will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to his fathers and will scatter them beyond the Euphrates River because they have made their Asherim provoking the Lord to anger. It's about idol gods. Verse 16, he will give up Israel on account of the sins of Jeroboam which he committed and with which he made Israel to sin. So we see here, a lot of people would think, well, why is God punishing Israel for that? Well, because they jumped right in. You know what I mean? You don't see any protest of the idol gods. They probably thought, man, save some gas money or whatever, you know? 
They just stayed there and worshiped idol gods. And he said, because they look to you, they look to their king as a, as, a, as a military leader, as a political leader, and as a spiritual leader. And spiritually, he led them right down the wrong path. But, you know, despite all that, God sends this clear message to Jeroboam about the price of unfaithfulness. He, he pronounced this impending judgment on Jeroboam and his family. But despite all the evil Jeroboam had done, it still wasn't too late up to this point. Did you know that? Now, his son was going to die. That prophecy was already made. But if Jeroboam would have confessed his sin and repented right there, God would have wiped that judgment away. Do you know that? He would have wiped it completely away because all God has ever required to be right with him again, this is what drives me crazy when people refuse to get right with God. Because whether it be Jeroboam or whether it be Chris Mosley, you know what he has required for us to get right when we're out of the will? That we come to him and confess it. 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. So if, if Jeroboam would have said, You know what? I've been an idiot. I'm sorry. You're right and I'm wrong. God would have forgiven him right there. This was not too late. But Jeroboam didn't care. He didn't take the warning. He didn't heed the warning. He wouldn't repent. He simply refused to admit that God's plan for his life was better than his. So he continued to live disguised as someone in control of his own life. Disguised like that, because he certainly was not. And sometimes I don't think we understand the significance of confession. He obviously didn't. See, confession, it's not about you confessing to another person. It's none of their business. Right? A lot of times people say, oh, you've got to go make things right with everybody you ever offended. You, would you get anything else done in life if you did that? You know, that's not what it's about. God, God's not trying to make you do penance. You know what confession is really about? Confession is, is honestly, it's just taking off your mask. That's what confession is. It's, it's taking off your mask, taking off your disguise, and revealing who's behind that mask that God already sees. See, you try to hide it with, with your religious activities. You try to hide it around other people, but see, no matter how thick that mask is, no matter what kind of mask it is, God already sees who's behind the mask. And here's who's behind the mask. It's a broken person who needs God's help. And all they would have to do is be willing to admit that. Just say, here I am, Lord. I am broken. I don't know how to fix myself. I've walked away from you. I confess everything I've done is wrong. Cleanse me like you said you would. And you know what he'll do? He'll cleanse you like he said he would. You know, I, there's a lot of power in praying God's scripture back to him. Did you know that? I do it all the time. Because sometimes you need to remind yourself in prayer that God has handled this. You know it and you believe it. Because he always keeps, he always keeps his word. Here I am, Lord. I am broken and I need your help. I confess my sin and I'm thanking you for cleansing me because you promised you would. Thank you. And, and when you're humble like that, God always comes through. All right, now listen, when, when Jeroboam's wife, jumping back to the story, when Jeroboam's wife uh, returned everything God said came to pass first Kings starting in verse four, or chapter 14 verse 17 says then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tizra as she was entering the threshold of the house the child died all Israel buried him and mourned for him according to the word of the Lord which he spoke through his servant Ahijah the prophet 
Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war and how he reigned, uh, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. The time that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, and he slept with his fathers, and Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. So if you study the rest of Jeroboam's life, you will find that he remained worthless. I mean, there's a great eulogy, but I mean, he lived worthless, he remained worthless, he died worthless. I mean, it's just who he was, right? That's, a, that's the rest of his life. Only his young son, who was sick, was the only one that received a proper burial of his descendants. All God's prophecies came true, all of them. And it's sad that he had refused to heed God's warning because I'm telling you, obviously God saw potential in him because of all the times he warned him. Sometimes I sit and think about this, which really has no fruit to it, but I sit and think all the time, I wonder why. What would Jeroboam have been like? What did God see in him? Would he have turned the whole nation? Would he have brought them? You know, what did he see in him that made him give him so many chances? But I think when it boils down to is that God, Jeroboam was kind of a, a, a little picture of us because God is always merciful to us, patiently waiting for us to turn to him, always warning us, you know, always sending signs that we overlook because he wants that relationship with us so bad. Maybe that's it. I'm not sure. Right, but obviously God saw something in him, right? I mean, he just had a better life plan for him than he'd already chosen, but he just refused it. See, when God gives opportunities to us, when he gives us the opportunity to make changes, it's not a power trip. When we read the things God asks us to do, it's not because he's, a, he's power tripping and just wants to, you know, use you like a pawn on a chessboard. That, that's not the reason God gives us opportunities. Only God knows our potential. And he gives us opportunities and guidelines because he wants us to maximize that potential. He wants to use you in ways you can't even imagine. Do you really think that Moses, when he just murdered someone, do you really think he believed that one day he would deliver millions of God's people from the most powerful nation on earth? Do you really think he believed that? I mean, this is an old man. He left Egypt, when he was 40, I think he was 80 when he saw the burning bush. You know what I mean? And do you really think he believed he would do the amazing things that he did, that God would give the law to him? He had no way of knowing that, but God saw him and saw his potential and gave him the opportunities, and he took the opportunities and did something great. When God is trying to give you an opportunity, when he's, when he's showing you what not to do and what to avoid, it's not because he, he's on a power trip, it's because he knows you're capable of so much more if you would just surrender to him. He wants to give you more than you have. He knows what you're capable of. And the reason he says there are consequences is he's like, listen, you don't have to suffer these consequences. If you will do what I ask you to do, not only will you not suffer those consequences, I will bless you in ways you can't imagine. You will do things you can't imagine if you will just give me the opportunity. Yet like Jeroboam, we often think that God's ways are a hindrance and that our ways are better. And we all have things that we put before God. And you know what things are called that you put before God? Idols. When you say, how could they worship calves? Some of you guys worship much less. Don't make me name them. Much less, right? And we're just like him. We don't realize how worthless those things are that we put before God until it's too late and we really need him. Then we know we wasted our time with those things. See, the enemy always deceives us into believing our way is the best way. It's just what he does. 
Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. I love that. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Right? And I wonder how many times we ignored the opportunity to do something great, all because we listened to the deception that the devil whispers in our ear. He's not going to answer. You've got to figure this out on your own. God doesn't worry about stuff like this. You've got to figure this out on your own. Have you ever had that whisper in your ear? I prayed this a week ago. Where the heck is God? A week. I'll be honest. I'm not going to lie. There's been times I've prayed and been a little frustrated because 30 minutes later I didn't have an answer. Now, honestly, anybody else done that? And then you call your friend going, I prayed and prayed and God won't answer. And God's going, it's been 30 minutes. You can't get a pizza that fast. You know? But that's exactly how we are. And then the devil's saying, see, he's not answering. Do it your way. So we get out the mask and become something we're not. Hiding who we really are and who God made us to be. Listen, the truth is our lives are just an open book before God. They're just an open book. And, and, and he sees everything. No mask can hide us. Now, you can either try to hide behind that mask that fools everyone but God, even yourself. Or you can realize that life is so much easier when you share each line of that book with God and, and just let him help us write a more amazing story and a greater ending. Those are your choices, and we see what happens when we choose the wrong way in the life of Jeroboam. I'm going to go ahead and stop there. I'm going to ask if you would to please bow your heads. This is your first time. We always give an invitation briefly. And the reason I always do that is somebody may be listening online or watching online or someone may be here who just doesn't know. And so I just want to give you that opportunity. If you're not sure where you stand with God, you can be. You should be. Just make eye contact and put your head right back down. If you're listening or watching, God knows. But here's the thing. You will only be in the condition you're in as long as you choose to be. Because the moment you're willing to lay whatever it is down that's keeping you from God and just trust Him, He'll take you. That's just the God we serve. So I'm going to pray that for each and every one of you that maybe raised your hand or maybe listening online or watching, I'll be praying for you. And believers, I, I really want to pray for you because... We live in trying times. We live in times that are crazy. Every day when I think the world can't get any crazier, I turn the news on and I realize it can. I hate watching the news anymore. But then right when I start to get frustrated, I remember God's in complete control and the enemy would love nothing more than for me to get distracted with all that foolishness when his plan is going to happen no matter what. I think I'll just stay close to him. That's what I want to pray for us. Because I think if more of us do that, those who are searching will come to us. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you for your love and your compassion. I thank you that you could even love someone like me. I don't deserve it. I've never lived one day where I deserved your grace. I am an example of why we needed grace in the first place. I sin, and I can't stop. But you love me despite me. You gave me the grace to be one of yours, and you promised me eternal life, and I thank you for that. And I just pray for someone who doesn't know you, that whatever's holding them back, that you would just remove that and let them realize that it doesn't matter who they are. If they're willing to believe your word promises, you'll give them eternal life. 
And if they make that decision today, I pray they contact us or someone close to them, a good friend or organization that's a Christian. But for those of us who are believers, there's enough distraction to go around. Lord, you know the craziness that's going on. And everybody's taken aside, Lord, and, and it leads to nothing but more craziness. I choose your side. And I just pray, God, that all of us can remember that no matter how crazy the world is, you are in complete control and there's no chaos within you. Let us trust in you. Continue to do what you would have us to do. See for us. Blind us to what we don't need to see so that we might draw others into your kingdom. We just pray, God, that you would go with us as we leave here and keep us safe. Let us live what we profess. And, and if you don't return to take us home, before we meet again, we just pray that we would come together and give you all the praise, honor, glory, and worship you're so worthy of. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.